0: Thank you. Welcome to Cursed Objects. My name is Dan Hancock, a so journalist, author, and happy shopper.
1: <laughs> Didn't get me as much as the other ones. <laughs> yeah, I told you it wasn't going to be funny. <laughs>
0: I'm
1: going to blame it on the hangover. And I'm Dr. Kashati, a historian, podcaster, as you all well know, and a nectar card owner. <laughs> yes,
0: nectar selector. Um Although what I can see in front of me is a Tesco club card. So where do your loyalties lie exactly? Your loyalties are split across loyalty cards. Just
1: kind of in preparation for this this episode, I'm just kind of gathering all of my supermarket accoutrements. Because (laughs) today in Cursed Objects, obviously if you're a first listener or you haven't listened before, uh, Cursed Objects, in this podcast, we kind of do a deep dive into specific types of material culture or objects. And we use these to kind of think about the world and politics, and we kind of like to map uh, big P and small P politics, basically
0: kasha likes to build a small shrine around herself of whatever that week's kind of object <laughs> and theme is which is why i'm saying this is
1: my mood board <laughs> uh, yeah the mood
0: board is like a physical material three-dimensional mood board so she's currently i know the sound quality is good but it's only because we've set up some very clever microphonic sort of setup here because kasha's actually in like a fort made of different supermarket loyalty cards at the moment can't, can't actually see her, but um, yeah, this this week, as you can probably glean, we are going to be talking about supermarkets, for the most part. Actually, the object this week is not a Nectar card, or a Tesco Club card, or whatever the Waitrose Aldi Lidl, do they have? I actually don't know if they have their loyalty I think, cards. I think
1: a lot of them now have, like, fobs. They're like a loyalty, loyalty fob. A loyalty
0: <laughs> fob. <laughs> Who wouldn't love a loyalty fob? Welcome what to the gr- future. <laughs> <laughs> Where everything will be done via loyalty fobs. Fob is is a very funny word in itself, isn't it? But the idea that it could, like, sort of encapsulate some sort of fully automated luxury communist future where, like, Yeah. yeah, we won't need, like rucksacks or material objects of any kind, no. because everything will just be on our loyalty fob, yeah. which is probably owned by the state or run yeah. by the state. Keys, so-
1: identity, your, <laughs> yeah. nector, your nectar points. So the, so what you're saying is the New
0: Labour, like the furore over New Labour's attempts to introduce ID cards over many years before eventually being sort of um, scuppered by the financial crisis. If that were to be reborn in a sort of Blairism 2.0 Keir Starmer government, it's going to be it's going to be ID fobs,
1: ID fobs, <laughs> bobs. and everyone everyone will sign up to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, just oh my god, well, cruise around the block. You won't have a choice because the you know the director of public prosecutions is you know <laughs> coming going to yeah. be PM and yeah exactly <laughs> he's going to publicly prosecute you and you will not like it. Yeah, Keith a Starmer is a hard man, it's not a very persuasive he lives, thing. He, is he it. lives
1: around here actually. I sometimes see him running.
0: Are you suggesting I should lower my voice in yeah. case he's like <laughs> Casey's like walking past walking past the open window? He might
1: prosecute you.
0: <laughs> he has been sighted by a, a friend of the pod in uh, in the in a pub nearby recently, but we're not we're not into stalking even very uh very <laughs> underwhelming and disappointing <laughs> politicians, but yeah, he's a he's a regular in a pub nearby in Kentish Town, shall we say? Um, so today, the object I brought in <laughs> something funny, Cash. Should I do it again?
1: Back to the object. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so today, okay, actually, I'm just going to explain. Cash and I are both a little bit. It's a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and we're not used to recording at this time of the week. Unfortunately. Mm. Unfortunately other work commitments are such that we we no longer get know. to like mess about during the working mm. week uh, making podcasts. You know uh, though
1: my favorite thing to do when I'm really hungover is actually just walk around supermarkets. Which is oh, so it. appropriate. Me too. I know, I know. It's like
0: the most soothing why is it soothing? I guess it's like there's the offer of like but to me it's like there's treat foods which mm. will sort of soothe your kind of ailing, kind mm. of affective state and also headache. And nausea and so on, but it's also like I get equally excited about like the cheese and the chocolate, and the, as, as I do with like fruit juice and buying some Cavolo Nero, like mm. the the prospect of like healing through through like green produce. um or, or is like an important. It's it's what makes it sort of an experience that's both indulgent for the like treat mm. food and then also like no, I'm doing myself good here, honest. Mm. Because look, all the veg in my bag.
1: <laughs> I feel like for me, like. It, it was a, a love affair that kind of started at university. Mm. So, like, I would, you'd be like, so I went to Sussex Uni and there's like an on campus co op. And I think co op is oh, a co op. so
0: bad. It's such my an, nearest it's such supermarket. an isn't.
1: underwhelming supermarket. It's so bad. All the
0: vegetables are bad and overpriced. I know, but yeah. it was all
1: we had. So, like, on a Sunday, For me you. and shout out Ben Siddle, uh, Patreon, Patreon subscriber and my friend. <laughs>
0: awesome.
1: <laughs> and like we would just go to the go to the co-op really hungover and we'd just like walk these aisles and we'd like bump into my friend Ange. She'd always be in there. You'd spot like-minded people that were just really hungover just like looking at things in the co-op just like what do I buy? It's
0: slightly, I mean that's a campus university s- supermarket. I've definitely run into people that I know tenuously like acquaintances in the supermarket I feel like Sainsbury's Dalston and Sainsbury's on um, One Tree Hill, where I live mm. now in South London, and it's really it's something it's something really discombobulating. I'd be like running into someone you know from the the rave scene in the doctor's surgery mm. or something, and mm. just like, no, oh, you're in the wrong place. What are you? What yeah. are you doing yeah, yeah, here yeah. buying crumpets? For God's sake! Like, you're, <laughs> so what are you shopping for? You yeah. Like
1: nothing. I'm hungover. I'm don't look at like, my basket, yeah. you weirdo.
0: <laughs> like it's too personal. Um, <laughs> I wonder, (laughs) I wonder if there's something about, so I want to, I want to talk about supermarket uh, shortages, like, Mm -hmm. you know, empty shelves. We're going to talk a bit about how it felt when the supermarkets ran dry in the first weeks of the lockdown in 2020. Um,
1: Terrifying. Because they're like normative spaces, aren't they? They're like, yeah, they're like spaces of, yeah, stability. (laughs) <laughs> right, well, this is it. This is what I wanted to get Mundane to. Mundane like, stability. So,
0: like, the ideas of, like, shortages and abundance are, like, very, I think, really interesting ones to unpack in terms of, like, how capitalism or, indeed, Soviet communism present themselves mm. to the world, right? Um, uh, may, and maybe a
1: fundamental need, right? A basic need.
0: And maybe we feel, like, nourished and happy and sort of consoled and comforted going mm. to the supermarket on a Sunday with a massive mm. hangover because there's something preternatural in us about seeing um, something, you know, something, you know, deep in our kind of human sort of uh, psyches, DNA. Yeah. And psyche is about like seeing abundance and mm. being like, Do you know what, we're not going to, me and my people are not going to starve this or, this winter. Yeah. Because like the shelves are, are full and like, you know, my people might have in the back of your sort of deep sort of early human brain might be mm. like your your tribe in this, you know. If the the fields haven't run like gone fallow and the rivers haven't run dry, slash like there's plenty of cavolo nero and mm. ham in, don't worry Dan. Mm. Like which is the reassurance that I need that my <laughs> that my like caveman crew are gonna be all right for the coming week. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> slash slash winter. But um,
1: equally like it's that feeling of like discombobulation discombobulatoriness, discombobulation. Mm that you feel when you go into somewhere that like has very little on the shelves. So like Mm. me and my cousin were talking and he was like, never been into the Nisa in Archway. And I was like, I know the Nisa in Archway. And he's like, he's like, you know, the one that's got like half a Mars bar on the shelves and maybe like a tin of like custard that's like gone out of date. I was like, yeah, what is going on with that shop? Like, but both of us knew it independently and we were both so struck by the lack of, yeah things in it. it's upsetting but we had though, a conversation right? about yeah, it yeah. like out of the shop you know it stuck with us
0: I feel like I remember this is making me remember that my partner last week was like oh let's not go to that Tesco near you that's I feel like that's got really bad energy that Tesco like it's always it's, it's like chaotic and like badly yeah. stocked which yeah. there was there was one there was a Tesco metro in um I think it was in Dolston sort of south of Bullspun Road. God, sorry, this is so nichely hyper-local <laughs> London, I'm sorry. There's, for listeners outside of Northeast London, um, there is a branch of Tesco in a bit of London. It actually really doesn't matter which bit of London it's in. But it, it, it sort of went viral on social media for being like, the worst Tesco. Like, oh, it's always such... Ca-. People were posting photos about how shit it was. And, how, and it actually turned into something quite nasty and unpleasant because it's like... I, I don't know. Well, for one thing... Potentially getting like, are really you working
1: good. for Big Tesco? Well, no, no, no. It's
0: bad, and like, it's like low-paid workers who are probably going to suffer if mm. this goes viral. Mm. As a like, oh, there are just sort of random boxes on the floor, and like yeah. the shelves haven't been stacked properly. The people who are going to suffer a lot. Tesco's shareholders, no, like it's it's and it's sort of there was a I think a connotation of like here are like, uh, you know sort of white, young, professional, yuppie, sort of gentrifiers moving to Dalston and being like, oh, l- lol, look at, this, uh, look at this. Look at the state of this Tesco. I just wouldn't even set foot into it. It's um, just like, yeah, you, you have everything you could possibly need available to buy at all times and can afford it. Stop sorry, your, it's not wrapped stop, in a stop, ribbon. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, sorry, like clearly what your ancestral sort of like preternatural instincts are telling you is that your fucking butler should be doing the shopping for you <laughs> like the fact that they won't anymore is a cause of great distress to you anyway i mean this is a bit of a tangent um, it's a it's a hungover episode it's going to be a tangential episode just got to warn you guys out there but it's um, going to
1: be meandering much like the meandering that you might do in a supermarket
0: interesting point because um as you may well know have you ever read anything about supermarket aisle psychology and sort of how they're placed in different parts of the supermarket? No. So um, I wish I knew more about I this. I mean, I to only regale know like, pop
1: psychology stuff. Which oh, is it's like... all pop psychology. Oh, okay, Don't worry, great. that's the only kind I do. I'm
0: not trained.
1: <laughs> not fucking Freudian. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. I
0: just like looking at things and speculating about them. That's what this podcast is, right? Um, but yeah, sorry. Go on. Hit me. What's your pop psychology take on supermarket aisles? So
1: I know that they. They put the deals at the end that are yeah. like it's supposed to like so there's a reason Impulse why buying. yeah and also do you know what my brother told me and this might be nonsense but because um, obviously like we all have like a really antagonistic perhaps like a love hate relationship with supermarkets right because mm. on the one hand like they are so convenient they are this place where we feel really like we can go when we're hungover and get our bits and nothing's going to jump out at us and it's not going to be... You don't have to interact with people even. Just go through the self-checkout. You know, there is, like, something really, like, nice, mundane, uh, isolate, like, you're very isolated. You are atomized in that space. You're a consumer in that space. But also, like, you know, we all know that they... That they're that they're awful huge large corporations
0: destroying like producers yeah. and uh yeah you and, know, and
1: like so one of the things planet
0: at the same time well
1: also like you know one of the things my, that my brother told me was that like uh, and this might be nonsense don't fact check me but like <laughs> the reason so like milk is so cheap in supermarkets it's so ridiculously cheap if you think about how. Um, much it takes to like produce that milk yeah. and like often like well so many farmers can't just can't do it oh yeah the dairy not, in, like- the
0: dairy industry almost collapsed completely at the start of the pandemic like yeah. it needed yeah. government intervention i yeah. remember the editor of the grocer a colleague of um a uh, friend of the pod's daniel Wilson, who's the food and rig editor there i remember i interviewed him at the start of the pandemic and it was mostly about supermarket supply chains and how the shelves have run empty which i'll say more about in a second But I remember him saying, you know, it's been a time of absolute chaos in the food and drink industry Mm. and the dairy industry, particularly Mm. having after like, because people still wanted to buy milk from supermarkets in that period. Right. But um, half of it supplies hospitality. Yeah. And there suddenly was no hospitality. Yeah. And they're like, well, now what? You know, yeah, like they were pouring yeah. gall millions of gallons away. away. And they were, and you can't oh, there was this amazing quote that he gave me as well. He's like, Yeah, and you know, the problem is you can't mothball a cow. Which is <laughs> which is true. Because everything much else as you'd like to much you'd like to, everything else is just being put into storage for sort of, you know, until yeah. until the lockdown was over. Yeah. But cows, unfortunately, they won't they won't go with that. But um, apparently
1: so back to my brother's speculation. Apparently, like if you've got cheap bread and cheap milk, mm. people pop to the shops for bread and milk, right? Mm. But then you stay for the good vibes and, and, <laughs> and,
0: and the crisps. You stay to hang out with your mates <laughs> yeah. and like...
1: Bump into your pals. Mm-hmm. But do you know what I mean? So like, you go in for the essentials, but like, when do you ever go into a supermarket and come out only buying the things that you need? Never.
0: And I wonder... You'll always buy I wonder how, You're absolutely right. I wonder how much that means that like, these, um, the food... The delivery, the grocery delivery apps, which are obviously like absolutely booming at the moment, mm. but you feel like only one or two will survive. They're currently having their sort of mm. <laughs> new new tech fight to the death while they try and you know try and work out if it's gorillas or um you know whichever the other ones, are, Uber Eats, have yeah. a food a, a grocery thing. Like they're calculating that people actually like that's going to hurt supermarkets surely if people actually do then only order bread and milk yeah and eggs and like don't get any impulse buys and yeah, stuff yeah um so the actual object we want to do today by the way um the cursed object in question is not a loyalty card but is a um i am not a plastic bag right. tote bag yeah um which i think is useful in pointing to some of the ways that supermarkets can have led the way well a that's su- cynically, that supermarkets have attempted to greenwash their own, like, you know, variously, complexly uh, bad impact on the the environment in terms of climate change and sustainable sustainable food production. Um, But also, you could argue that with the famous I Am Not A Plastic Bag tote bag and campaign, which was launched through Sainsbury's um, and I think Waitrose in 2007... That basically, that was a really good example of a sort of argument I want to make today, which is that supermarkets have become so powerful that they lead the way and the state follows, basically. Yeah, they, set,
1: they set the agenda.
0: Absolutely. So
1: so essentially what you're saying is that there was this uh, bag that came out, mm-hmm. and it's part of a larger campaign in a way to reduce plastic bags that are used by supermarkets. So it's like a huge sector-wide shift towards mm-hmm. um, what we now have, which is like the Tempe. The bags Plastic for bags, life. But also an yeah. emphasis on bags for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. And this was before, I mean, how many tote bags do you own, Cash? Oh, my
1: millions. <laughs> so many tote bags. Um, I love them. Do you know, I, went, <laughs> I went into the shop. Blessed objects episode yeah, incoming. I went into the shop the other day. And no, it was like a coffee shop. And I literally went in to get a coffee. And I saw they had a tote bag. And it was like an impulse in me. I can't even describe it. As soon as I saw the tote bag, I was like, I'm buying it. And then I looked at it and I was like, I don't want this. Well, I'm not going to buy this. But there was like this feeling inside me that was like, I must have this Amazing. tote bag. It's like, but I didn't even look at the design. I just saw wow. the outline of a tote bag and I was like, I need it.
0: That's so, yeah. there's something. I didn't, been, I resisted. Well, well done. <laughs> I was going to say like, this is like... Just There's something's been planted in you that just now like drives you almost like you have a parasite yeah. in you. Yeah. That's not like too, a Unpleasant plane. to say when yeah. you're, when you're already feeling I a bit a nauseous to- and hungover. But, but I never the, This them. tote loving parasite <laughs> yeah. is like, cash Um <laughs> Buy the tote bag. Um, but yeah, we all have millions of them now, right? But like, mm. I think there weren't, they, they, you know, we didn't all have 35 of them in our <laughs> like mm. hanging on our, like the end of our stairs, sort of in the way, the way that we all do now. Um, in 2007 and you know the the people behind this campaign i think they saw there were thousands of them produced um these and they were like you know so they it says on it i am not a plastic bag which obviously very clever because it's not a plastic bag um great advertising it's just it's genius isn't it but like you know models and celebrities were seen with them and it was a Mm sort of a brief moment of like oh being green is cool um but they and uh, you know i'm always very cynical about these sort of uh movements yeah particularly like if it's a corporate sponsored thing encouraging personal behavior change as a solution to climate change i'm like hey you know I don't. what about if we just sort of overthrew capitalism ended fossil fuel dependency um yeah. stop you know deep sea drilling uh, and uh you know, banned private jets and cruise ships. Could we do that? Like I feel like that might as more first of a step. Yeah, as just a first, a first step. step. Yeah. And then after that we'll look <laughs> into whether I should like, you know, recycle a bit more of my plastic than I currently do. Yeah. Um but and that's normally my my stance of, you know, this is this sort of conversation I'm sure we all have all the time, like at the moment. I certainly feel like I, I have done numerous times about like, okay, yeah, of course though personal responsibility is important. I'm trying to fly yeah. less, I'm trying to eat less meat. Like um I, I do I do think we have our own individual roles to play. It just bothers me when, sort of, particularly a massive corporation like Sainsbury's, mm. um, is you know putting the onus on us to change our mm. behaviour. The thing is, this particular stunt or campaign, however you want to look at it, the "I am not a plastic bag" campaign, did effectively seem to work. Like the the because that was two thousand seven, and the though it was you know the 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 fall off in like use of single use plastic bags was substantial like there was a behavioral change that was led by that there were millions fewer plastic bags produced like in the aftermath of this campaign but what's interesting to me is that this government's intervention Mm. to charge for single-use plastic bags came in in 2015 so you effectively you have the state in the moving and making policy in the wake of a, a supermarket, mm. a profit-making enterprise mm. yeah. uh, leading the way, which doesn't seem like the way around it should be really to me, but it's exactly what happened during the pandemic as well. Um, so I want to just, yeah, tell a bit a bit of the story of like when the, the shelves went empty, which for okay. listeners outside the UK, I don't know if this mm-hmm. happened necessarily, mm-hmm. but it did in the UK, didn't it? The first the sort of week or so before the first lockdown, in end of February, start of March, twenty twenty, um, certain goods started disappearing from the shelves. I remember the first time I saw um, that there was something missing. There was like no pasta mm. in the big, big Sainsbury's that's quite near me, uh, and You're I, so, you I, love I, pasta so much. I know. I love it. <laughs> this really upset me. I was like, every
1: episode, every episode is like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Listeners, see if you can collect all of my references to how much I love pasta and then uh, stitch them together and you could win a prize. It's sort of like an Easter egg hunt. Um, yeah, but the first time I liked the pasta, I was like, oh, they must be restocking mm. something. Mm. Like, I've come at the wrong time of day. I went back to the next... <laughs> something like that. Like, it didn't... I just, in my It can't head, be
1: the supermarket that's wrong.
0: Right, exactly. But this is the thing, like, my <laughs> no, brain... It must be my, the time. My brain worked so hard to rationalise it as normal like I didn't, know part of me, even though I knew mm. the chat about COVID was getting more and more serious. It mm. was not just Italy but, and, and Wuhan, but like, you know, this this actually could affect the UK. But no part of my brain was like, no, there's definitely, there's a unprecedented once in a generation crisis is what I'm seeing in front of me. Mm. What I saw was like, oh, well, the pasta's just obviously going to be put up in an hour. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they're restocking in an hour. They just haven't had stocks in for That's what I thought. And then it was only when I went back a few days later mm. And they still didn't have any. And I overheard a couple of people who were strangers to each other, but were both looking at these empty shelves and making jokes about COVID. And I was like, oh, damn, like mm. the penny has just dropped. Mm. Um, and I. You
1: found yourself in the aisles.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, The Clash once so- sang, um, you know, uh, I'm all lost in the supermarket. Yeah. And. Uh,
1: they are these amazing post-war creations, aren't they? Supermarkets just—they're so phenomenal in terms of like what they tell us about culture and time. Absolutely,
0: even and, like yeah, yeah, even down to like I once wrote a piece about self-service checkout machines when they were a new phenomenon, and like people were concerned about <laughs> all sorts of things. Like you know, it, it, it sort of it led to more theft orig- originally, but yeah. then it led to it led to pe- low-paid supermarket workers getting blamed for those thefts. Mm. And getting irate customers. Mm. So you have like one person staffing a set of eight, yeah. eight or sixteen like checkout machines. And that's too many. Like yeah. and people get agitated. I see yeah. it in the Morrisons near me in Peckham. Like people start having a go to be like, Oh, come on. And it's like this one person is trying mm-hmm. to do the job of about four people here. And
1: they have to be a cop as well. They not right. sign up to be yeah. a cop. Yeah.
0: This is like it's a perfect example of how like automation can really, really hurt like mm-hmm. workers beyond the ones that have lost their jobs as as checkout clerks like the people left behind suffer as well um so yeah like that I think that tells a story about you know that that bit of the supermarkets evolution tells a story but so does like the period when they first introduced um self-service in Mm. a way that we seems normal to us so like Mm. you used to go to the grocers before the second world war you go to the grocers and ask for a pound of you know, apples and a pound of Cavolo Nero. If mm. you're struggling to get it, I'm sure at that point in time, but <laughs> <laughs> they weren't importing it. Um, but you, you know, and then you're served by the grocer yeah. who picks it up for you and puts it in a bag and charges you. When the first supermarkets that used self service, I I walk down the aisle, I take the things I want and put them in a trolley and yeah. then take them to the, people, kicks off this aristocrat in. Um, a aristocratic woman, uh, in somewhere near in Croydon, I think, at the first ever self service Sainsbury's, uh, was re- quoted in the Times newspaper saying that she was absolutely outraged that she was having to collect her own shopping because <laughs> she expected someone to do that for her. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's a change, that's a, that's but that's a, exactly that, as you were saying, like a moment of social change or like co- cultural change that like, um, disturbed something in the class system there mm. because suddenly, like, no, no, there is no option to have a butler here like Mm, to have somebody do everything for you you're gonna have to pick up the items yourself with your delicate hands um so cash what what do you remember of those of those sort of shortages in the supermarkets in the early weeks were you what was your like affective response if mine was panic and then and then anger with people stockpiling was my second emotion was like fuck's sake why have you bought all the pasta you bastards
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i think it's like um i think that feeling of like Nothing Nothing is quite, well, lots of things are very unsettling, but that was particularly unsettling, I think, mm. because of, you know, all of these things that we've touched on, the idea that, like, I kind of realised in that moment, and I think a lot of people did, that they know absolutely nothing about how their food gets to them. Yes. That they know nothing. What an like, epiphany it was. I was yeah. like, wait, so the food does not just appear on the shelf for me to buy. Yeah. It must yeah. come from somewhere. Where 100%. does it come? Do you know what I mean? It was like, so it got me asking question, uh, questions, and I was thinking... You know, these are questions, all you know, that I've always kind of wondered about. But, like, you know, Mm. the way that food um, is transported, but it's not just about the supply chains. It's also about the ways that supermarkets sanitize food for us (laughs) that I think is really interesting. So, like, I had a friend who would only eat chicken if it didn't resemble chicken. Mm -hmm. So, like... You know, like they wouldn't like, no, but like basically no bones, nothing, uh-huh. no meat that doesn't look like meat, that is like basically odourless, tasteless, is a bit of texture, That that's the only kind of meat that they would eat. And it kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of got me thinking a lot about like how, I've always thought of myself as someone who's like super like, yeah, I know where my food comes from and I try and buy like as ethically or as good, as, good food as possible, yeah. you know, like organic when I can and like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it was just like... You are so deluded. <laughs> you are so, so deluded. You Why, have no idea. I'm, you know, I'm one of these people that in my head, not I'm not like not a Jordan Peterson like, you know, like cosplayer. But I'm like, yeah, I could probably if I had like, you know, if I had to kill kill oh, the right. meat yeah. that I was eating, I would do it. I would think I'd be able to do it, you know? Like You're
0: if, a rustic Polish farm girl at heart.
1: Yeah, honestly, <laughs> like, you know, like with a dad like mine, like who is literally like a meat technician. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's such a good job title. I know,
1: I know. Well, like, anyway, we'll get into meat, meat technician maybe in another episode. <laughs> but, you know, like, he literally worked, like, in, yeah. in like, a, a meat processing factory. So, like, I think it was in Edmonton, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a meat processing factory. Yeah. And I, because of that tangent, because that connection through him was always like, yeah, I could do that. My brother told me when he started working in that factory on his first shift he was violently sick. Like, he literally went into this room, saw all of this meat, and then came out and was just violently sick. He was like, nothing, nothing is like that. But then he's like, but then you get used to it, and it's like, whatever. But it's like one of those... And like because I because I've been like kind of close to it, but I never did it. My dad was like, "Do you want to come?" And I was like, "Absolutely!" <laughs> but I've always got this delusion in my head, like, "Oh yeah, you know, I know where the meat comes from, or I could do this." Yeah. And actually, in that moment, looking at those empty shells, you're like, "I have no clue." No, no I,
0: idea. I yeah, I, I I think likewise. I'm quite alienated from trying to like think of this in the sort of Marxist terminology, but like we are alienated not just from the. Um, fruits of our labor but Mm -hmm. also like (laughs) the fruits that (laughs) other people's labor produces Mm -hmm. um in the sense that like all of the processes the hard work the suffering Mm -hmm. the like the suffering of the land that Mm -hmm. you know it's produced on that is you know over farmed and like um you know i'm not i'm not going to get into sort of stuff around pesticides because i feel like it's an error i don't know enough about here but i like, i don't i mean i don't eat organic it's too expensive it's the mm. simple answer to that question my 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 particular kind of relationship with that and i eat everything and i feel guilty about eating meat uh but don't intend to stop essentially <laughs> <laughs> and then but then that, that which is sort of broadly my take but you know i tell myself that because i eat some awful that i'm somehow like not like your friend who has mm. to see like a uh, a chicken breast that essentially could just be lab grown meat or it could mm. be a bit of tofu pretending mm. to be, and it just would, you, there'd be no difference. Like, right? because that's all my relationship with not just meat, but all foods. Mm. So, goes you the milk as well, you know, like, um, I, I, I sort of do tell myself that I'm sort of have a slightly healthier relationship and understanding mm. of where the food comes from. But I, I think you're right, that's not, I don't. That's a delusion. It is a delusion because we all, you know, if you do, unless you are literally living on a farm and sort of interacting with these food systems firsthand or indeed working where your dad worked, um, then it is a cold and clinical shiny place. Mm. You know, the supermarket mm. is why it's a nice cooling place to go on a hot Sunday when you're hungover. Yeah. <laughs> ready. Yeah. Fact, that was the one, I think the one place I went during our heat wave <laughs> yeah. recently was like, where's Santa. my aircon? I'm freelance. <laughs> I don't have an office I can go to. I'm just going to go to the big Sainsbury's instead if um, you'd
1: like to support our patrons, so we can buy a fan. So well, we're
0: <laughs> I mean, I just... So, so we're less sweaty. I'm that just feeling
1: myself just starting to, like, listen. Like, yeah, I'm just, yeah. like, touching my face. I'm like, fuck, I'm just going to slide off this chair in same. a second.
0: The things we do for you <laughs> listeners. We've got the window shut on a hot day because we don't want any really background noise. Um, so, yeah, I, I I had, like, a series of epiphanies in the first uh, mm. kind of weeks of the pre-lockdown and then the actual lockdown um, in the first weeks, the pandemic, And one of them was that, you know, ultimately, supermarkets are not on top of things, (laughs) of the very slightest disruption to the food supply chains. Because let's not forget, there was no harvest failure. Mm. Like, you know, we will have bigger food shocks, mm. right? That's the, you know, the term that's used, you see increasingly Well, used. the war in Ukraine Food is shocks like and a, water shocks yeah. is, a, is a good example of a food shock, yeah. yeah. And, and, like and like an energy one. And, yeah. 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 But yeah, there will be more, exactly, more climate-induced and... Mm-hmm. Um, well, there'll be, you know, there's a potential there for like a really bad sort of series of um, vi- vicious cycles where, you know, um, resource food and water shortages lead to more resource, food and water wars. Mm. Like someone mm. was saying the other day, the first water wars have already happened. They've been, you know, um, th- th- this is a process that's already begun. And then because of those wars, you get more, you know, forced migrations, mm-hmm. um, refugee crises, uh, labour shortages, more food shortages. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, that that's mm-hmm. the, the potential for like, you know, serious disruption and we need a lot more resilience in our food supply system it's so, yeah. this is, so this is something i learned about i was so interested in this i like that first month of the pandemic i spent a lot of time reading about what the supermarkets were doing and then wrote an article for prospect magazine which is available to read on their website should you wish but i'm just going to read you a little bit from it if that's not okay. too self-indulgent because it does it more succinctly tells the story than if i try and paraphrase it um so this is from april 2020 on, 15th of, on the 15th of March, the Big Four supermarkets—Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda, and Morrison's—which hold 68% of the grocery market between them, along with the second tier, which is M&S, Co-op, Waitrose, Iceland, Aldi, Lidl, Costcutter, and Acado—it's worth noting there's there's really there's mm. the Big Four, then mm. there's everyone else. Like mm. they're not on the level, but they all of those supermarkets together issued a joint statement. They promised they were working closely with their suppliers offered uh, reassuring words that they were in control and asked that people shop responsibly. Quote, together we will care for those around us and those who are elderly, vulnerable, or choosing to remain at home. Unquote. Mm. So you've basically, I mean, I'll go on, but you've you've got what sounds like a letter. It sounds like a speech by a wartime prime minister. Mm. This is from Mm. the supermarkets, Mm. right? This letter was headed um, or titled Working to Feed the Nation. And it carried the same paternalistic tone as a communique from the wartime Ministry of Food. Sure enough, the supermarkets began establishing rationing. Uh, they limited customers to three of each food item and they started contacting vulnerable customers directly. I'd forgotten this completely, actually, but they got to, contacted vulnerable customers directly, the supermarkets, allocating them specific shopping times and generally took charge in exactly the same way you'd expect a government to do in a crisis. Mm. They even did their own contingency planning and their own emergency simulation exercises, sort of like a shadow cobra, but run by the supermarkets. Wow. They began to act like political operators too, and effective ones at that. In the early days of the crisis, one supermarket executive gave an anonymous briefing against the government, suggesting to the BBC that the state was not on top of the supply chain. The Big Four followed this up by throwing their weight around even further, demanding a relaxation of competition law that would allow them to coordinate supplies, deliveries and opening hours. Mm. The government, sitting quietly in the sidecar, duly acquiesced. Quote, we've listened to the powerful arguments of our leading supermarkets and we'll do whatever it takes to help them feed the nation, said Environment Secretary George Eustace. Isn't that mad? Yeah. Like, the supermarkets are running the whole thing and the government's like, what do you need us to do, guys?
1: Yeah, how can we support you? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I just, like, when you when you were talking earlier about, like, how it really feels like it's the supermarkets that are leading policy in the state is following. I was, I've been thinking about that a lot with the, um, like, feeding um, children during the summer. Oh, yes. Because it's like, it really seems like the supermarkets are doing quite a lot of, like um oh we're going to like donate this amount of food like huge amounts of food you know to like um hungry children and food banks and stuff like that and you just think what is the government doing in this that we have to rely on these corporations but i think it's something really um i think really ch- challenging in our, in our in terms of our relationship with these Um, supermarkets, because their personal branding Mm. has been so good, Mm. so good, Mm. that they can issue a statement like that, that people often feel like these supermarkets somehow, even though they're supermarkets, are almost like their, like not their friends, but like a kind of soft face of the state.
0: Yeah, so like, sort of integrated in your everyday life in the same way that the state would exactly, be. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: So, you know, they kind of... And, and in a way, right, they know, like, everything about you, so that's fair. Like I, I Like, it feels like they have developed and they build up these, like, personal relationships mm. with people. So it's like they are, like, the soft face of the state. And I think that, like, so... A lot of people are getting really annoyed actually quite recently because there's this like cost of cost of living crisis and food prices have gone up. But, you know, Sainsbury's or Tesco or Waitrose will report how much money they they have made in profit. And it's huge amounts, huge amounts. And people are getting angry at them like, oh, you're making so many profits. Why aren't you reflecting this in the food price? And it's like they're not your mates. They literally are making money yeah, from
0: it. they you. have no responsibility like, they to have do no so. Yeah. And I'm not saying
1: that. And I mean, I, I, I would like them to do that. But, but yeah. also, they, they have, have they have no responsibility. I mean, they actually
0: have a legal responsibility to their shareholders to generate as much profit for them. Well, exactly. why we need to abolish capitalism. But, you know, it's uh, too early in the episode to say that. We just conclude with that at the end, don't we? So, you know. One of we'll, our catchphrases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what's the answer? Oh, yeah. So, I
1: just, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about the things that supermarkets know. About us, right? So I just Ooh.
0: kind of... You got, mean the Nectar inspectors? The,
1: yeah, the Nectar inspectors. So um, I recently... Well, no, I've always had a Nectar card. But I recently got a club card because I just honestly don't understand...
0: They bullied you into it. They, they bullied me into it as well because the three times of, you know... Well, one time a month that I'm in a Tesco and mm, to buy beer. Yeah. You just... If you want the three for five quid... But you have to you do you it. You need to do it, And yeah. it's
1: crazy, like... You can go and you can buy a bottle of wine for £10 if you don't have a club card. And if you have one, it's like £3.50. Like, where is this? But this is how desperate they they are for your your, data, for your your information, (laughs) right? So I got a letter from Sainsbury's, which is, I mean, it's...
0: Personalised, I hope. Oh, my God. Handwritten.
1: Header. Hey there. (laughs) Oh, God. We love seeing you in store. And we've got lots of exciting things going on. Whether it's rediscovering old favourites or finding something new we 're ready when you are which is just I just find that so creepy but anyway
0: what, on why the have back, they bothered to do that was, I did, did your card come with that no, no. it was just a
1: letter anyway oh. on the back I just <laughs> so they have used my data no. to suggest things that no. I, I love right okay so sort of
0: like a Spotify wrapped but you' b- b- for lunch yeah.
1: <laughs> so they've put three things on here. And I want you to guess, knowing me as you do, I want you to guess what would those three things that sum up my Sainsbury's shop?
0: Great question. Yeah, Uh, I'm going to go with um, sauerkraut.
1: (laughs) I never buy sauerkraut from Sainsbury's. You make your
0: own, don't you? You don't. (laughs) No,
1: I just go to Polish shops. Oh, really? Oh,
0: okay. Um, In that case, I'm going to go with um beer tea and uh ham beer
1: tea and ham is is very yeah it's, it's a pretty good, close it's a, it's, it's a good it's a good guess but i just like i just <laughs> i got this in the post and i was just I read it and i was like an absolute fucking it i was like is this is this who <laughs> Your I, I am personality something
0: <laughs> what, what's on it come on
1: sainsbury's medium free range medium eggs <laughs> A Sainsbury's spicy chorizo ring Uh and Sainsbury's white pitters. That's my personality. Eggs, egg chorizo and pitters. That's what Sainsbury's think I am. It's a
0: slightly. It's. It sounds like the sort of breakfast where you really haven't got anything else in, and you're just like, like, (laughs) what can I pull together? (laughs) Amazing. It's a sort of oddly pathetic amount of information. So
1: it says the product data stated is based on data covering the time period of the last last three months based on purchases made at Sainsbury's in conjunction with your Nectar card. Excluding health and beauty, alcohol, household, baby, pet, and sensitive products and subcategories. Sensitive products. Sensitive products. So they
0: do not want to embarrass you in front of your friends and family (laughs) by putting on... Here's some pornography.
1: (laughs) I don't think you can buy pornography in Sainsbury's. Pornography, fags,
0: and and, and like hard liquor, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I don't even know if you can buy pornography anymore in shops I don't know in shops at all I don't know I I mean it's never been something that I think I I
0: think newsagents still have a top shelf right because one of them's you know just in terms of physics (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's a terrible dad joke one of them has to be at the top anyway never mind Uh, (laughs) but yeah how like uh, I mean I I actually don't know a great deal about the data collection I'm sorry to say like I don't know I mean and part of the reason for that is that it's very proprietorial Hmm. right like they don't Beyond sending you a letter or indeed print giving you a little um token printout mm. that allows you to get twenty P off the sort of eggs, you know, that you normally buy, they don't share a lot with you about what they know about you.
1: Yeah, that's it. Or anyone
0: it. else. So like it's proprietorial, their system, their algorithms, their aggregators, how they make decisions about I mean, do they know? Do they know much? Of, do they know about our age, for example, yes. and gender? I
1: think. I think so when can you they, sign up, maybe yeah. you
0: have to say. But you don't say that. like. They don't know what. Are my ethnicity? I guess they know where I live. Mm-hmm. So it's another thing, isn't it? So they could look at, you know, forty-one-year-old men who live in Peckham. Um, I don't think. What else they would know about me? No, I think that's it. You know, are increasingly buying mm-hmm. Cavolo Nero and the posh eggs because they've realised that it's worth spending an extra fifty p <laughs> on the posh eggs, and then they're like, okay, well, how many forty-one-year-olds like <laughs> professional men are there that live in Peckham? Oh, I was actually, there's more of them, so we should just stock more posh eggs mm. and Cavolo. I don't know how sophisticated that algorithm. I can only assume they're very sophisticated given how desperate Tesco are, for example, to get you to sign up to their club card system. Yeah. Disinformation is obviously extremely valuable. It is the story of our age where, mm. you know, data is the most valuable commodity. Um, but it just, it feels a bit more old school than like, when I say, oh, it's the story of our age, I kind of mean more like Facebook selling our <laughs> data exactly, to Cambridge yeah. Analytica or whatever. Um Rather than, this almost feels quite humdrum by yeah. comparison. Yeah, it does. You know, it's like, like,
1: oh, you like chorizo and eggs.
0: It's not integrated with our social media. Well, not yet, yeah. anyway. It's not integrated with our online lives in such a way that they can work out. Like, they, surely they don't know, like... What I earn, for example, or what kind of housing situation, what household I'm in, but maybe they could work that out from yeah, the food alone. From
1: the food you buy. <laughs> so, like, does he go for the cheap prosecco, yeah. or the slightly fancier, like fizzy white wine? He doesn't do you know buy the I mean? family
0: size pack of the of the Cumberland sausages, so because he's not, not going to get through all of that. Yeah, exactly, he... <laughs> exactly.
1: So they must know so much yeah. about you. They know that you've got cats. They know that you oh,
0: fuck. They do, don't they? Yeah, yeah. that you like. Although they would think that they're cats that I generally starve because I <laughs> because I generally get stuff from like pet from pet shops, <laughs> I think, they would think that I have access to a cat that I give dreamies to approximately once every six months. Yeah, yeah. So and, you're but right. need le- regular litter bags for because I can't seem to find them anywhere else. It's <laughs> like poor, malnourished but well but hygienically handled cats. <laughs> I just imagine them drawing some very odd conclusions. Well it's like, you know, I I feel like I remember um I think it's my my friend Anna Fielding I remember saying that like she found herself in the supermarket. I don't know why she sent me a photo of her shopping basket. It was like this is the shopping basket of a psychopath. <laughs> like and but you sort of you even without me being able to remember any of the contents of it, you could imagine what that would entail, yeah. right? It's like yeah. why why have you got like posh bacon like you know, cat litter bags mm. um, and like six bottles of vodka. What the hell is he going? What are you doing this weekend? For God's sake, <laughs> this is chaotic energy into this basket. Cats oh, and vodka. It's yeah, basic yeah. Oh God, which makes me realise that my you know obligatory though embarrassing Peep Show reference. Isn't there an episode where um, where Jeremy and Peep Show? Deliberately puts loads of weird things they don't need in the supermarkets to mess with the with the yeah. like mess with the algorithm so that they so that they can't actually pigeonhole him accurately like including like you know some tampons or whatever. Um, I just want to say a little something about um, so we sort of talked about a bit about supermarkets replacing the state, which is fascinating. If you want to read more about. Um, the supply chain side of things. Mm. Like I did write 3,000 words about it for Prospect. Um, If you just Google Prospect supermarkets, you'll probably find it. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit about the brand identities that the particular supermarkets push out there into Mm. the world. You know, everything from Lidl Trainers, which I know our producer, Nick, uh, was the Mm. proud owner of last summer. Mm. Um, Blessed object, cursed object. Not sure about that. You guys decide. Um, But also there's, uh, you know, even very recently you had... The entire like online liberal centrist community up in arms at um, oh Owen Jones God. making a Waitrose reference and implying that, so that that maybe Waitrose shoppers were a bit posh and then you had and all sorts of people reacting.
1: For those who aren't on Twitter, yeah, can sorry. you please can you please explain that? So Owen Jones said that people that support Keir Starmer shop at Waitrose and then there was this huge backlash from like mainly centrist liberals who were saying to Owen Jones, you don't understand the history of Waitrose. So it's an anti-fascist organization yeah. and shopping at Waitrose is akin to struggle, right? To political struggle. You had
0: this, 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 this I'm <laughs> going to make sure I don't get sued here. You had this unusual fellow, Um, is an older journalist and went out to Ukraine.
1: Oh my God, on with his a Waitrose own. bag.
0: Well, yeah, like no one asked him to go. Like he wasn't, he wasn't sent by anyone. It was a very odd move. Um, he seems like a bit of a grifter. Uh, I don't know a great deal about him except that he's caused lots of consternation from centering himself in the like awful struggle and misery of of the you know what's going on in Ukraine at the moment. Uh, but he did so with a Waitrose bag and posted a photo of this Waitrose bag, um, and people yeah people were threading trying to make a connection to the fact that the John Lewis Group owns it, that the John Lewis Group is a co-op, that the Labour Party is affiliated with the cooperative party um all you really need to know is that it's
1: all very tedious and well, very it, well is is that john lewis
0: isn't a fuck it's not a com it's not like marina Leda, the communist collective yeah. town that i wrote my first book about like john lewis is marginally less awful than the rest, than, than the rest of them um it's not you know they, they as far as i understand like the employees of um of john lewis and therefore waitrose they don't they they can get like a little extra bonus maybe if the company's done well they don't get voting rights. it's not a democratic organization like um it's not a it's not there are different types of cooperative organization basically mm. and it's at the very it's the most timid end of it basically like this isn't a workers co-op where you know a workers co-op in a socialist sense would be the workers owned collectively owned the means of production and um yeah something john mcdonald suggested when he was shadow chancellor that that workers should have more of a say in the running of their businesses all the evidence shows that when that happens the businesses do better like Mm -hmm. this isn't just like ideal ideological like socialism or communism for the sake of it um it's actually just more efficient because workers understand how their businesses work guess what they spend every day there you know like they They, of course they they do um but yeah, so I mean, but I think it's interesting because it's sort of that, that ridiculous Owen Jones sort of stuff, uh, the backlash against him making an offhand comment about Waitrose. It's, I mean, obviously, Waitrose is incredibly posh and for posh people. It's ridiculous to try and claim it's like a, you know, it's a bastion of workers, kind of cooperative like socialism. Yeah. Um, I but think all of these,
1: Smith also was like, "This is what a waitress shopper looks like." Or something oh like that. God, it grow was up! Just so you
0: used to be Secretary of State I for the know. bloody Home Office. Get a get a life. I know. Um, <laughs> Get a bag for life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The supermarkets do, obviously, like all brands, like to sort of concoct a brand narrative, and that was sort of the last thing I wanted to talk about today. Really, was you saw it. You know, we're historians, oh like I God, I
1: love this. This is all about energy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, big Waitrose energy, big Sainsbury's energy. What are their energies?
0: Well, okay, on that score, the Sainsbury's energy I want to talk about is to commemorate their 150th anniversary as a uh, since the opening of the first one in mm. 2019, they did they took something a trend that they were already really keen on into overdrive, which is their the historicization of their own past. Yeah. Right? And Nike. You've noticed Nike start doing this now. Yeah. Nike's been around long enough that they put out a press release and a big press campaign to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the "Just Do It" advert. Yeah. Which I was yeah, just—I yeah. I don't care. Like yeah. that—that's—that's that's an anniversary you want to commemorate, really. Yeah. But yeah, we'll leave Nike aside for now. <laughs> Sainsbury's did the same with 150 years. They are already. Uh, and I'll commend them. This isn't all sort of cynical and critical. This is just, I'm just observing some facts here. Just mm. facts, pure facts, fact. <laughs> Hashtag facts. Pure fire. Uh, but, uh, that Sainsbury's <laughs> are already really good at historicizing themselves mm. in a way that I appreciate as a yeah. journalist and interested, you know, historian. And Sainsbury's have an amazing archive online of mm-hmm. their flyers, their adverts. Mm-hmm. Some of them just purely from a design point of view are really amazing. They're mm. like the 1960s or 70s, Cornflake packet, Sainsbury's own van Cornflake, beautiful. Check it out. Uh, maybe we'll sh- we'll share it in, uh, on the socials. Like, um, but there's loads more stuff if you dive deeper. Like, you know, mm. I've been, I was I've been researching some stuff in terms of how the uh, world foods aisle has evolved over mm. time and how like new quote unquote new foods have been introduced from from abroad and new imports uh to mainstream audiences. Um Sainsbury- I went to the Sainsbury's archive, they were really great mm-hmm. and cooperative. They're basically historians looking after mm-hmm. a fantastic body of evidence of uh of materials and social um, histories in as, a way, right? Yeah, of totally. social histories. Oh my god. Their magazine, they they uh the Sainsbury's magazine, I'm sure they had something like a Mrs. Sainsbury's employee, like, like a Miss World competition (laughs) in like the 1960s. I need to double check that. If that's not true, we'll cut this. But I'm pretty sure that is, I do remember, I wasn't looking, I was looking for like stuff about like when the pineapple was introduced and how exotic Mm -hmm. it was presented Mm -hmm. as and stuff like that. But what I found among all of that was like just a load of really very culturally and socially dated kind of mm-hmm. publications. So it is a really useful archive. I mean, it's, you know, it's a large organisation that people have been employed by for a long time. They've been very good at keeping their own records. Um, and uh, I've, I've, I was just trying to like look up what some of the 150th anniversary commemorations for Sainsbury's involved mm. in 2019. I, I don't know if you remember, but they had like they had big boards up in the supermarkets with, like, archival photos. And, you know, yeah. it really felt like entering a museum mm. when you were going to the supermarket, like, mm. and it, because it was, effectively. like Just a,
1: steeped in nostalgia, really, but yeah. for their own history, and a yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Because kind of, I do get that vibe from Sainsbury's. Like, mm. I feel like Sainsbury's, for me, is, like the historian supermarket
0: <laughs> because it's so like, you
1: know, yeah, it's so steeped in history and a kind of similar way that maybe like Waitrose does it kind of, like you were saying, it kind of like, um, has this, uh, okay. So it's posh, right. But it's also because it's connected to John Lewis and because of the way that the company's run, it's almost kind of like, yeah, it's for posh people, but maybe like posh people that also like, I don't know, like not, not, care about workers rights but you know it's got a bit more of a got a bit more of a face it's got a kind of social history as well whereas like I feel like um those are things that those supermarkets would really rely on as a way to like get shoppers in and then obviously their ideas were all that that was really scuppered I guess by like Aldi and Lidl who are just like new German like <laughs> it's all like you know everything's really functional but everything's really cheap and basically also everything's a rip-off of everything else like you know, like marathon bars are like their version of like Mars bars or whatever, you oh, yeah. know? So I think that like these carefully cultivated identities that like supermarkets present is like, you know, it, it literally can just be undermined by cheaper pro- products elsewhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a great long read about Aldi in The Guardian mm. about five years ago. Just again, look Google Guardian long read, Aldi, and you'll get it. Um, that I remember telling the story of how surprised some retail analysts were that little analogy became as popular with middle class Brits mm. as they did with um, people who were, who wanted to needed to save money. They like mm. really needed to save money on their shopping. And that there was some, there was a, an appeal there to the British middle classes who actually love a bargain mm. <laughs> basically mm. for, um, for one reason or another. Um, and that that wasn't really how it had been forecast as a business mm. model when it, when they were moving these two chains over to Britain. Um, but yeah, I don't, I love the idea of Sainsbury's as the historian's supermarket. I mean, they certainly—I mean, the recent 150th anniversary and the way that they talk about their own past um, certainly lends itself mm. to that for sure. Um, and it's also—I mean, just mo- mundanely has been around for longer mm. than Tesco or any of the or any of the others. I think um, there's a there's a story when I was just googling this morning to try and remind myself what what the 150th You know, year, anniversary. It was basically like a Jubilee year, Mm. but Mm. for the Sainsbury's. And appropriately enough, the Queen. Uh, I found this story The Queen marked Sainsbury's 150th birthday With a visit to a unique pop-up experience Which is What a sentence that is, man What a sentence I want that
1: tattooed on my body <laughs> yeah, yeah, I
0: think I, think I support, fully support you as a friend Grandma, that, what's
1: that tattoo on you? Well, that's actually the Queen <laughs> Visiting a unique pop-up experience To celebrate Sainsbury's 150th anniversary
0: And to be honest, little Johnny I'm sorry that you had to ask And yeah. What are they teaching you at school? Um, it's
1: scaring uh, me, Grandma
0: <laughs> Take it away But what a sentence I almost almost ruin it to unpack it But I'm going to just read the first paragraph of the article The Queen attended a recreation of one of Sainsbury's original stores From the supermarket's beginnings on London's Drury Lane Showcasing the sights, smells and tastes Of some of the retailers' rich heritage Including some of the original items sold in the late 1800s Probably they'd been refreshed and were still in their use by date But <laughs> The visit included Her Majesty being introduced to some of the modern-day innovations customers see and use today, including a self-checkout. <laughs> it's like, Your Majesty. <laughs> it's an un- un- unintended corgi in the bagging area. Like, yeah, just it's probably like, it's just like such a, it's so funny as well, I think. There's something just inherently comical about, well, A, the combination of the words Queen, Elizabeth, and the unique pop-up experience, yes. but also but also the idea that she, like, has to do what normal like that she would temporarily Mm. dally in like on very humdrum normal lives of Mm. like going to the self-checkout machine and be like, no, this is what people do, is it? I didn't promise there would be no impressions today. And that's why you got some impressions. (laughs) There was also one other thing about Sainsbury's and their history, historicization of their own past. Um, There was a trend that my partner and became obsessed with during the pandemic and she she found a mural by the saint near the sainsbury's in haringey right mm. a massive like relief um carved mural not a painted mm. one with these incredible sort of scenes of like haringey history like a, there's a steam train there's mm-hmm. like you can see the alley palais mm-hmm. it's just a really beautiful piece right mm-hmm. it's a beautiful piece of sculpture it's against a wall by the McDonald's drive-through <laughs> that's next to the Sainsbury's, but because it was a lockdown, the McDonald's was shut. And you, like for the first time, you could see this beautiful mural mm. had been hidden away by cars. Normally, you were going to get a fillet of fish. <laughs> so, Neve tried to get to the bottom of where this came from. Like, wh- why is this incredible historical mm. mural here? Just do a bit of googling. And like, there's loads of stuff in Haringey online trying to track down, trying to work out the mystery of where this mural came from because nobody bloody knows. And it was only it was done in 1991. It's not like yeah. a million years old. Yeah. One thing that they discovered when researching this local history mystery was that the the mural artist, a woman called Judith Bluck, um, had done a series of original, like bespoke local carvings for Sainsbury's at supermarkets around the country. Wow. Including, so there's one in somewhere called Alderly Edge, um, uh, which, yeah, like, p- perfectly sort of, disc- like, depicts the local mm. kind of environment and local legends includes something to do with a wizard. I don't know where Alderly Edge is or why it has a wizard. We don't have time to get into that today, all right? um, <laughs> but, uh But the point is that in a similar way that I think, to me, that what that makes me think of is the way that Wetherspoon's pubs will have all over the walls loads of really granular, quite lovely mm. local history shit, mm. Mm. which is simultaneously a lovely thing to see. It helps, like, you you know, I've learned stuff about areas I've lived in for ages just by mm. being in Spoons and waiting for my mate to get back to the bar and looking up at the wall and being like, wow, oh, that's what this area used yeah. to look like. Or that there used to be a... You know, windmill, Greyhound Stadium slash windmill, <laughs> <Yeah>. like in <laughs> two in one. Uh, yeah, like near here. How cool! Simultaneously lovely and wonderful, mm. and incredibly obvious and glaringly cynical. Mm. Mm. Because what they're trying to do is undercut the compl- the faceless, identikit. We're ruining your high streets. Everything's yeah. the yeah, same yeah, yeah, vibe. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah. that's exactly it. Like that hits the nail on the head. Because like we all feel, feel this tension right with supermarkets because on the one hand they're so convenient mm. and we have a kind of fondness for them because we use them so often but i mean we all low key feel quite guilty that like the high street has changed completely mm-hmm. and you don't go to the green grocer and you don't go to the butcher mm-hmm. and the candlestick maker and Yeah who, now you, we all friends. get our
0: candlesticks at Sainsbury's. Yeah, at Sainsbury's, <laughs> that's the
1: problem, you know, like the great scourge of the candlestick maker is <laughs> Sainsbury's. But it's like, you know, I think we all feel that tension because we're like, oh, like having a high street is good. And obviously like some, one thing to like buck against that trend is like all the Polsky skleps, which yeah. like completely, they were like, shout anyway, out shout out Polsky skleps. Anyway, anyway, I think that there's like, you know, there's always going to be this tension because we feel so strongly about like, that we should preserve community and heritage, but mm. also we're quite lazy. And then we just, yeah. feel, we just feel this kind of like middle-class guilt inertia thing about like, oh, like... What do we do? Because like, I really want to get my cheap pasta or whatever yeah. from Sainsbury's. But also, and I don't have time to go around, but also it is good for the local area to have local shops where people know each other, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. What do you do? Um, I Ponder. don't know. Do you want me to, I mean, you know, you're asking a lot for me to solve the <laughs> crisis of global capitalism versus uh, local high streets and... and, and we're guilty a bit, um,
1: and then don't. Because we've too really good. only yeah. got a
0: few minutes left, so I feel, I feel
1: like, one to think about. I feel like it, it well,
0: requires a bit more thought. I tell you what, why don't you, our listeners, write to us with a solution to yeah. the food and farming crises, um, and let us know on social media. In a, you know, it's going to be less than two hundred eighty yeah. characters, <laughs> but, but we, I believe in you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if anyone can do it, it's cursed objects, listeners.
0: Anyway, it's just started raining, um, and
1: but it's still weirdly hot. <laughs> it's so weirdly
0: hot. We've got tropical vibes. <laughs> and the reason I'm but telling not in you in a what, good way, and we've now both of Cash and I need to leave the house quite urgently to go and watch the Women's Euros final. Um, so we will bid you adieu. Wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks and for listening, everyone. Yeah, thank you for and listening. If you
1: enjoyed this episode, please um, support our Patreon. If you can't afford it, please just help a mate. It just really means a lot. You know, if like more people can listen to this and we can keep doing it. Um, so yeah. Just please tell a mate, tell anyone, tell people who aren't your mates.
0: And if you... <laughs> tell your enemies, tell your local shopkeeper, <laughs> tell your candlestick maker. <laughs> and we, in exchange for subscribing to our Patreon for as little as £4 a month, you will get not only our eternal dying devotion and thanks, but also free bonus episodes that are every bit as good, possibly better than mm. the ones on the main feed. But you won't know until you check it and find out. There's a great one about strikes... And the summer of strikes in the 1970s there at the moment, there's one about uh, a Walter Benjamin escape room mm-hmm. um, and the sort of infantilization of uh, of, of, of memory. Other
1: Gamification l- of everything. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, uh, if, these,
1: if this sounds like your love language.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll also be talking about love languages. Um, <laughs> Do check out our Patreon. It's Cursed Objects UK, basically anywhere that you would care to look. Apart from TikTok, we're not on TikTok. Not yet. No, yeah.
1: Going to get you doing like a dance with like a bag for life. I'll jump
0: either side of the line based on whether I remember particular items being in the supermarket. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Thanks very much for listening, guys. Love you lots. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.